Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 117. If you, by the way, this is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Two verses. And we won't go home just when I finish those. Because <laughs> we've got a lot more to do. But two verses. It says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. Here's a call for universal praise. And Paul says in the book of Romans 15, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him, all ye people. So evidently, you know, when we think of the writers of the New Testament, they were very familiar with what was spoken in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit brought these things to mind and renewed them and gave them other emphasis or additional emphasis. So it's much the very same thing if you want to read it, Romans 15 and 11, in a few different words. And then we find the second verse says, For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. So why should, we, uh, why should the Lord be praised? First of all, be, uh, for His merciful kindness is great toward us. In the book of Titus, he says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior. Jesus Christ appeared after the kindness and love of God. And then in the last part of the verse, it says, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. When we think of the eternal nature of his truth, the truth of the Lord endureth forever. There's a lot of things that are are temporal. There's a lot of things that will not endure. But Jesus said that though heaven and earth pass away, my word shall not pass away. The Bible says that the word of God shall stand forever. Uh, Peter says, being born again, not, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, listen, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He goes on to say that all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is a flower of grass. But he says, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So you see that word that endures forever is so steadfast and and gives us so great uh, assurance that he says that this is what is used to bring you the good news of the gospel. The gospel is preached in you. Look at Psalm 118, if you will. This is called a messianic psalm. And this psalm, like some others, contains some predictions concerning the Messiah. And if you uh, uh, would look in Luke chapter 24, verse 44... Uh, It says this, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You see, what was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, Jesus says, concerning me. And all these things were applied to Christ. In fact, if you look back in the 24th chapter of Luke again in verse 7, 25 through 27, you'll find that where the two on the road to Emmaus and Jesus was speaking to them, it says, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And you know when Jesus disappeared out of their sight after they, when they were breaking bread, He sat at meat with them. And verse 32 it says, They said one to another. Now Jesus disappeared, He vanished. They said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? You know, I've heard a lot of wonderful preachers in my time and 
professors down the seminary that were men dear to my heart, and it seemed like that they give you the heartburn too, don't they? When they open the Scriptures. But think of the Lord Himself. As these two on the road to Emmaus, and they were speaking, we thought it would be He that would have uh, uh, redeemed Israel. And now He's dead, you know. And uh, Jesus said, Ought not Christ to have uh, suffered these things and entered His glory? It says, Then He began it uh, with Moses and all the prophets, and He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And then they, when He vanished, He says, Didn't our heart burn within us? While He opened to us the Scriptures. You see, the Scriptures are plain in plain language, but they have to be opened up in a spiritual way. They have to be opened up to our thoughts and minds by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God unto us. The Bible says, The entrance of thy word giveth light, giveth understanding. And so we find that uh, uh, in this uh, Psalm 8, 118, if we'll look at it now, and look at the first verse, we'll see some things that have to do with Christ, the Messiah. And then we'll see some practical things as we go along in the first several verses. Notice verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Now here's a call to praise again, because of the enduring nature of His mercy. In Second Samuel 7, verse 15, it says, But my mercy shall not depart away from him, speaking of David, as I took it from Saul. God makes a, a promise concerning David. It says, My mercy will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul. And then Jesus is the greater son of David. And then verses 2 through 4, three classes of people called upon to testify to the enduring nature of God's mercy. Three classes. Notice in verse 2, Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Verse 4, Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. So we can see that all these... Look, Israel, the house of Aaron, is specially chosen house of the priesthood. And then it extends out to, let, let them now that fear the Lord. That would include anyone and everyone that feared the Lord, or reverence God, say that His mercy endureth forever. Verse 5, notice what he says here. This is a personal testimony from the psalmist. He says, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. A personal testimony. Remember what Psalm 40 verse 1 says? I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me. He heard my voice. He lifted me up out of the... Mire clay out of an horrible pit. He set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. It says he put a new song in my mouth, even praising to our God. He says, many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So here he's saying, what? I called upon the Lord in distress, out of distress, in the marginal reference. And it says, the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. If you were to turn to Psalm 40, you'll find it says, he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He, he set me in a large place, or He set me in a place uh, of stability. I think I've given you this before, but in uh, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, we find the condition of sinners in a horrible pit. We find the power of the Savior. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. The security of the saved. He set my feet upon a rock. The walk of the saved. He established my goings. The song of the saved. He put a new song in my mouth. 
the testimony of the saved, even praising to, to our God, and then the influence of the saved, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's a good sermon in itself. So back to Psalm uh, 118 now. And notice verse uh, 6. We got verse 5. Verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man, what can, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? He asked the question. The Lord is on my side. The Hebrew says, The Lord is for me. Uh, uh, remember Paul says, If God be for us, who can be against us, right? If the Lord is for us, that's what the psalmist was saying. The Lord is on my side. What can man do unto me? And then verse 7 says, The Lord taketh my part. It's good to have Him take your part, isn't it? We need not fear. And if the Lord takes our part by giving us friends and by opposing us our enemies. I love that song Brother Jim sang about friends. And you know, opposing our enemies. God is for us and God's people are for us. We ought to be for one another as Christians. And those that fight against God's purpose and plan, uh, they're just on the wrong side. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me, therefore shall, shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Now, that doesn't mean we should hate people, but God is going to avenge His own elect. He, he's going to uh, take care of those that belong to Him. The Lord only is worthy of all of our confidence, verses 8 and 9. And I want you to get these two verses. By the way, verse 8 is the middle verse of the Bible. You might want to mark it if you haven't already. And it's very significant because it says, It is better to trust in the Lord, and by the way, that's the bottom line, than anything else, than to put confidence in man. That's the middle verse of the Bible. And then the next verse is somewhat like it, only with a little more uh, emphasis. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, even the best of men. So, trusting in the Lord is the bottom line, isn't it? The Lord only is worthy of all of our confidence. And then we find verses, uh, verse 10 says, All nations compass me about, but in, in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. You know, the plans of the Lord, Lord's enemies, are defeated all the way through. All nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. We'll read on down through verse 13. They compass me about, yea, they compass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Notice how many times it says, in the name of the Lord. Let's read it again, verse 13, uh, verse 12 rather. They compass me about like bees, they are quenched as fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. You see verse 12? It's in verse 10 and 11 and 12, in the name of the Lord. The Bible says in the Proverbs that the the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Remember how David came against the giant? He says, In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I come to you. And if we're going to fight our enemies and those that oppose the things of God, we have to do it in the name of the Lord. And it uh, gives us a guarantee. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as fire thorns. It's verse 12. For in the name of the Lord... Uh, I will destroy them. Verse 13. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. <coughs> Verse 14. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The Lord is to be exalted because He's our salvation. He's to be praised because He's our salvation. In fact, in the 
book of Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Don't you love to find how the Bible is so harmonious that everything blends together. It, you know, you find in Psalms, you find in, you can go all through the Bible and everything just kind of dovetails together and makes a perfect, harmonious whole. And then we find in verse uh, uh, 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Where the Lord is to be praised. In the midst of the church, it says, will I sing praise unto thee. By the way, this is spoken of concerning the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, uh, let me read it for you. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse uh, 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now look. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. So it said concerning Jesus that in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Remember after the Lord's Supper was instituted and the Passover was taken? It says they sang a hymn and went out. And Jesus was in the midst of that situation to where that He led them in a hymn. They sang a hymn and went out. Someone talks about music in the church and the Word of God. Did you know song and Scripture is joined together? They're just like a marriage. And you need both of them. And then we find that down in verse uh, 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. Remember that the Bible says that God has exalted Him above all things. Given Him His name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's uh, Philippians chapter 2. Alright, notice this. In verse 17, it says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. It's great for God to give you the ability to continue to do His work. He gave Jesus the ability and the power to come out of the grave after He did die. In other words, He wouldn't remain dead but live and declare the works of the Lord. He was put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. He said to John in the book of uh, Revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. He's exalted and he's victor victorious over death, hell and the grave. Look at verse 18. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. That means death could not hold him. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, go into them, and I will praise the Lord. So, the coming king is said to uh, have the gates open. Remember Psalm 2 says, open the gates. Let me read it for you. In the second psalm. And this is a, also a psalm of, of, uh, of the Messiah. It says, uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye, lift up your everlasting doors. 
and the king of glory shall come in. I don't know if you find it in that one. Maybe I've got a wrong, the wrong one. It is. Uh, he does uh, sing here, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. But where is that one I was wanting? Anyway, one of the Psalms says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and uh, be ye lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And I got the wrong Psalm. But let's go back to this now in uh, Psalm 118 and verse uh, 20. It says, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. We know this refers to Jesus, doesn't it? Remember, it was spoken of by Peter. The stone that was set at naught of you builders has become the headstone of the corner. He's the chief cornerstone. And it says in verse 23, this is, the, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's, it's the, of God that this, the rejected stone becomes the chief cornerstone. You find it in Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. And Matthew 21, verse 42. The stone which the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner. And then verse 23 says, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. By the way, this is the day of salvation and rejoicing. We should rejoice today in everything. Sometimes we have a, we have a bad day or sad day or a down day as some people call it. But really if we could just lift up our hearts to God, we'd have good days. We'd have good days in the midst of all the bad things. I know it's hard to smile when you want to cry, isn't it? It's a real hard thing to do. But in the midst of all of our sorrow, God is able to give, give us uh, something to be thankful of, about. And then it says uh, uh, in verse uh, 25, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. He's going to, he needs to come to us and prosper our way. Verse 26 says, look, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Remember they quoted part of this scripture concerning Christ's entry to Jerusalem. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In verse 27, it says, God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. And we find that Jesus Christ, of course, was bound with cords of love to the altar of sacrifice for you and I. There's nothing that bound Jesus to the cross but his own voluntary willingness to say that he would lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 28, Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. We need also to claim him as God, to exalt him as God, and to praise him as God. Three things. Thou art my God. Let's make our claim. The Lord has claimed us in you read the Song of Solomon. It says it in two ways. It says, My beloved is mine and I am his. And then it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Notice. God says we're his and we can turn around and say he is ours. Because, he, because he's claimed us as his, we can claim him as ours. We have a perfect right to do that. And then, by the way, that's what uh, John chapter 12 says. I mean, chapter 1, verse 12 means, but as many as received him to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. And the authority, the right to claim him as Savior. 
As many as received him, to them gave him power to call the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now look at this last verse. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That's a good way for that psalm to end. I want you to turn to Psalm 119. We have about 15 minutes to get into that. And it's a wonderful psalm. We're going to begin it and try to give you a little bit of introduction. And as I say, it's a long psalm, but it's a very wonderful psalm to study. It has to do very much with the Word, the Word of God. This psalm has been called a small Bible. It's the ABC of love and praise. This is another alphabetical psalm. Each verse in the first division starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse. The next division starts with the second letter. And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and 22 parts to this psalm of eight verses each. It's like eight verses and times 22. And the first line, listen, in each division starts with a corresponding Hebrew letter. Like we would say A, B, C. Well, in, a, in a, our uh, alphabet. But in the Hebrew alphabet, it is like the A, B, C Psalms. In other words, the alphabetical psalm, only in the Hebrew. And the first line in each division, the first line in each division starts with a corresponding Hebrew letter. And this psalm excels all others, not only in in the length of it, but in the manner of it, variety and depth and meaning. We might say that this is the main psalm of all the book of Psalms. It excels all others. You can count the I am's and I will's and I have's in this psalm. And ten different terms have been used referring to the Word of God. The law, it means God's law in general. And the way, it means a plain rule of conduct. Uh, Thy testimony means God's promise to us. Promises made to us. Thy precept, God's prescription. Thy statutes, the written law. Thy commandments is divine orders, what God has commanded. Thy judgment His court decisions concerning things. And thy word, God's express will. And you're going to find all these things mentioned. The law, the way, the testimony, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the judgments, and the word. We preached on some of that this morning. So we'll find that we'll find all that in this psalm. And thy sayings, by the way, is expressions. And thy truth is eternal facts. All of these things. Now then, God's blessed people are seen... In verses 1 through 8. And by the way, if you'll remember, we mentioned that when we first started the Psalms, that the first Psalm is an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. It's not only the first Psalm, but it's it's an introduction. In fact, it could be said to, to be following through right here. Notice this starts with blessed or the undefiled in the way. Psalm 119. But the first psalm says, Blessed is the man, we quoted part of it this morning, I think, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
And then it says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He not only says the ungodly shall perish, but the way of the ungodly. Have you ever wondered when sin will cease? When God destroys the way of the ungodly. And that's the future time that He's going to really, really make things right. It's all yet future. This psalm starts out much like that. The undefiled. Look, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Walking according to the word of God. Walking in the ways of God. They are the undefiled. Remember what James says about pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And listen, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. So we're talking about the undefiled. Blessed. The word means happy. Blessed means happiness. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. The word undefiled means the perfect or sincere. It doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. But it means those that are sincere. Those that, that grow up. Those that are mature in the ways of God. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Their walk is to walk in the law of the Lord. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what does John say? We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from what? All sin. Then it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What man among us does not need a daily confession of our sins? You know, I believe Jesus taught this truth when He, in John 13, laid aside His garment. Gird, it says, knowing that He was come from God and went to God, He laid aside His garment, took a towel and girded Himself, poured water in the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet. He was teaching daily contamination. In other words, when we walk in this life, we become contaminated. Randy and I went out to the cemetery this afternoon. We had dust and dirt all over us. I mean, out there the wind was blowing and this old cow pasture type of thing. And you're standing in dust about yay deep. And uh, so we need daily cleansing from it, don't we? Remember old Peter, he says, Lord, he says, they'll never wash me. You know, Lord, he didn't, he thought that it was too humiliating for Jesus to have to wash his feet. But Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, I'll have no part with you. In other words, you'll be breaking fellowship with me. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, not, not my feet only, but my hands and my head have washed me all over. And he says, he that is washed, if you're cleansed, needeth not save to wash his feet. See, we've been saved by the grace of God. But we do need daily cleansing from everything. And uh, I need it. Every night before I go to bed, I try to make everything, ask God to make everything right. Just smooth out all the wrinkles, wash out all the dirt, make everything right so I can go to bed and go to sleep. And brother, you can. And we need to pray about everything, turn it over to God, and when we do, I like that all is well. When they play the taps. Some of you don't know. Do you, you know that that has words? Some people didn't know that. Day is done, gone the sun. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the skies. 
All is well, safely rest. God is nigh. So, I like to go to bed thinking that God is near, right? Amen. Everything's all right. So, let's get back to this psalm. Verse uh, 2 says, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with a whole heart. They not only walk with God, they're not only the undefiled in the way, but they keep His promises in mind and place a high value upon them, all of His promises. And they put the Lord first and they make it a heart matter. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. There's one thing I want right and you should want right and that's our heart. If we have that right, everything else will work out all right. We have nothing to worry about. That seek Him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. What, what is this? They seek to do the Lord's will. They walk in the ways of the Lord. In verse uh, 4 it says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Now what? They have a zeal to do what God wants them to do. And notice it's according to obedience to His commands. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Not only do we need to show obedience to what God has commanded, but we need to have a diligence about keeping His precepts. A zeal for it. They have a zeal for the Lord. The Bible says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. The book of Colossians, chapter one, uh, chapter three, verse one, it says, "If ye then be risen with Christ, listen, those of us who are resurrected with Christ, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of, hand of God." And then it says, "Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead." Listen to this: you're dead, and your life. Well, I thought I was dead, Paul. He says, "Your life, you're dead, but your life." <laughs> He says, you're dead, but your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. I like that. That's security, isn't it? It doesn't say, maybe you'll appear with Him in glory. It says, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You know, if you didn't believe in the security of believing, you'd have to change something in every chapter of the Bible nearly. You'd have to change some words around to make them say it differently or it would indicate, it'd have to indicate security. Look at those verses again. If you want to turn to them, listen. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, I think it went to 4. But it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So you're risen, now you're alive. See, if you're risen, right? It says, set your affection on things above. And I'm going through it again. And I don't want to bore you with it, but I want you to get it. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead. That means you're dead to your sins. And he says, for you're dead and your life. Well, if I'm dead, how can I be alive? And your life is hid with Christ in God. So he has it hidden with Christ in God. And then it says, and when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. I like that. Shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Alright, let's go on down. We'll try to cover this one little section here. We have about less than five minutes. But notice verse uh, 5 says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. 
They know that they need to depend upon the Lord in order to live for God. You remember one man said, Lord, I believe. But he says, help thou mine unbelief. You see, we need God's grace. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then verse 6 says this, look. It says, then shall I not be ashamed. They will not be put to shame. When I have respect unto all thy commandments, I will not be put to shame. In verse 7 says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. That's wholehearted praise again, isn't it? They will render unto the Lord wholehearted praise. And it says, when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. When we learn, you know how are we, how we are to learn it? We're to study the word. Search, Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you think that you have an eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And then it says in verse 8. Uh, I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. They aim to please the Lord. I will keep thy statutes. Is your aim to please God? And that they know that they're weak without him. O forsake me not utterly. Jesus said, for without me ye can do nothing. So we need God's strength to do it. We'll pick up, we'll just uh, teach those first eight verses. And we'll pick up with the second uh, stanza, the second uh, section of this 119th Psalm in our next lesson, The Lord Willing.